We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Today we continue this uh, journey through this letter, and today we're only going to cover a couple of verses, but uh, wow, I just think they're so awesome and relevant for us as a church. As a matter of fact, real quick, look at chapter 3 and verse 15. Uh, Paul says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You see, the church of God is also a house of God. And not only are there fields and flocks and sheep and shepherds, but what we find in a house is there is a family. There is a family that lives here where we kind of see people like, you know, fathers, mothers. We have people like brothers and sisters. We're family with family ties. We have bonds that were established. If you're a Christian, when you were born into the family, when you received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so what a blessing it is when we acknowledge this is the house of God, the, the home of God where God is and his family is. And we live here and we pray, I pray that we live as healthy families should. So we're going to talk a little bit about the family today. You know, it's kind of funny. Yesterday, Steve was uh, asking me, hey, you know, you know, what's the study going to be on? And and maybe any suggested songs. And I told him, hey, do you know that one by Sister Sledge? We are family. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> but then I was like, well, I don't know what all the words are uh, to that one. But it, it is a lot about us being family. And even if you remember last week in verse 12, uh, we talked about Timothy being a relatively young pastor. And so what we do now is we pick it up from there. Paul now instructs him as a, a younger pastor and others like him on how to treat the different people in the congregation, the older men and women, as well as the younger men and women. And so we begin here in verse 1. Let's read the two verses. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him, as a father. And so in reading that, you might at first glance think, well, wait a minute, doesn't that contradict other uh, scriptures in the Bible? Because we know that rebuke is vital to both give and receive in the Christian life. We need to be corrected and we need to be used by God to correct others, right? Leviticus 19 verse 7 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You know, as Christians, that's one of our responsibilities is to rebuke, is to correct others. And as a matter of fact, Leviticus says, if you don't do that, it's like you hate them. And so that's our responsibility. We know in Proverbs 15:31 it says, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. You know, sometimes when someone corrects you, you know, you're just right away, your pride rears up. It's ugly, and we just... You know, we'll resist it. And even for me as a pastor, you know, when someone sometimes will rebuke me, I mean, you know, right away the devil comes in and he lies to me and he says, well, you're the pastor. 
who are they to talk to you? But I know better. I know that if someone's going to correct me or challenge me, I just got to take it to the Lord and I got to ask the Lord for the truth. You know, we we need rebukes. We need to give. We need to be able to receive. It's so important. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 23, he rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. Right. And then Jesus said in Revelation 3:19, as many as I love, I rebuke. And so you look at this verse right here and you're like, wait a minute, time out. Do not rebuke and older man, but doesn't the Bible speak you know, well of rebuking others? And when you add to all of that, the Apostle Paul in other places reveals to young Timothy that part of his responsibility as a pastor was in that whole realm of rebuke. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, exhort, and rebuke with all authority and long-suffering. We read in Titus chapter 2, verse 15, the same thing, writing to another pastor, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke. With all authority, let no one despise you. And so you read that, and then you read this, and Paul here says in verse 1, do not rebuke an older man. And so you ask, is he contradicting himself? And then we have to look a little deeper when we find that he's not. Number one, you guys know that the Bible wasn't written in English. You guys know that, right? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And so it's here where we find out what's going on. You know, what's up with this whole thing? What we find right here is the Greek word for rebuke is only used here. It's not the same word used in other places. And it literally means to strike with a blow. It literally means to, you know, like almost like you sock someone in the face. And Timothy is saying, man, don't do that. You young pastors, you young people, you don't do that to older people. You don't rebuke them like that in such a way. That's why other versions say, do not address an older man harshly, but appeal to him as a father. Or the NLT says, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. You see, it, the Bible says in Proverbs 25:11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. You see, and that's where this whole realm of rebuke, if we can do this right, if we can be willing to give and to receive in a way that would honor God, you know, we will grow as a church. I mean, and I don't mean just numerically, I mean deeper. God will do a great work when we're open to the Lord and, and not only receiving rebuke, but giving it like apples of gold and settings of silver. You see, rebuking someone is not simply a matter of telling it like it is. It's asking God for the wisdom to effectively minister to people. Now, granted, there are some who no matter how golden those apples are or how silver the setting is, there are some who just won't receive rebuke, right? The Bible calls them fools. In Proverbs 17.10, it says, Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. And so, you know, I understand that, that there are some that just won't receive. But it doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility to be able to do so in a way that would be more effective. There are some who will, especially if we say it prayerfully and carefully, timely, lovingly, wisely, when it's the right person at the right time with the right words, when we do it God's way, there are some who will receive correction. And so what we find right here is part of this whole 
thing is taking into careful consideration, you know, who you are, who they are, how you're talking, prayerfully asking God to lead you in these areas. Younger pastors, younger people are not to strike or spank men that are older than them with their words. They are not to demean them or disrespect them or address them harshly. On the contrary, we read right here, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. They are to exhort him, which means to encourage him, to comfort him. You know, there will be those times the pastor will be required to sit down or maybe even preach and talk to some, teach some, but whenever he does so, he must always appeal to them respectfully, even as he would his own father. And there's a real, real big lesson for us here as a church, and even, I think, as a society. And I'm sure you guys have noticed that it's almost tragic to see the lack of respect for the elderly now, huh? We see that all over the place. Times have changed, you know, especially in the West. You know, there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, when young people would never call an older person by their first name. You guys remember those days? It was always Mr. Coronilla or whatever, Mrs. You know, Rodriguez or whatever, you know? It was always that way. And there was a time not that long ago when a younger person would rise from his seat if an older person entered the room. You see, they were seen differently. They were seen respectfully. They were seen honorably. You know, in the West, it, it seems worse. Because even today, if you were to go to the African nations or the Asian nations, they, they are taught to respect their elders. At, at, at least they call them uncle. You know, uncle. If you go to Cambodia with us and you're a little older, they'll call you uncle. And you're like, I didn't know we were related. Well, <laughs> it's because they, they, they've been taught well, right? And so I think there's an important element there. I was reading an article today in today's news about how um, there was this uh, soccer game going on. And there was an older gentleman. He was a referee, 46 years old. I think 46 or 47 and he called a foul on one of the soccer players. Now, all these soccer players are 17 years old. So he didn't like the call, and then he gave him a yellow card, and, and he didn't like that either. So you know what he did? He punched the guy. He punched the referee, and he killed him. He killed him. And the part that was just so heartbreaking to me was that the family was trying to get their dad out of being a referee because these teenagers, they would constantly harass him. That wasn't the first time they got violent with him. And the thing that just I just think, man, wow, we as a society and how we as a church have drifted away from respecting those who are older than us and honoring those who are greater in years. We should honor the elderly. You might ask, well, why should we honor them? Well, I read one quote that said, the young people should respect the elderly for the simple fact that they graduated from high school without Google or Wikipedia. I mean, you think about that, you know. <laughs> I also read this, how young people sometimes complain about how older people drive slowly. But here's the truth, you guys, and we're going to see as we go through our study. There's a lot to learn from the older person. I mean, really that lesson is that we should not be so busy that we can't drive the speed limit, right? And we learn that, right, from the older people. Bottom line is, most of them are wiser than you young whippersnappers think they are. 
You know, the other day, a brother of mine, he uh, forwarded to me this email on the life lessons from Cliff Barrows. Now, you guys know Cliff Barrows, a good friend of Billy Graham, 90 years old. He's celebrating his 90-year-old birthday. And you're thinking, some of the younger people are thinking, well, what do I have to learn from this guy? He doesn't even probably know the you know, internet or he doesn't have a Facebook account or whatever it is you're thinking. You know, his, his mentality is way back there. But I'm telling you this, there's a lot to glean from these older people, especially if they've been walking with the Lord for a while. And I, I want to read to you some of the lessons that Cliff Barrow shared in this email. Uh, as he celebrates his 90th birthday, he's an example of someone who lived their life wholeheartedly for Christ. He's still sharp as a tack, and one of the things that's cool about him is the scripture rolls off his tongue and the wisdom gained over the years of being 90 years old. He talks about marriage. He said, because he was married for 50 years and his wife died, and then he was married another, he's been married now another 18 years. And he said, even with his busy schedule, Barrows always makes his marriage a priority. He wakes up every morning at 4 a.m. to spend time praying and reading with his wife, Anne. Isn't that beautiful? Even though he can no longer see, he's blind now, they listen to the Word of God together at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they pray. Talk about learning something from someone who's older than you, huh? He said this, At the same time, I never pretend that marriage is easy or perfect. He says this, I think there are nine words we should be willing to say every day. And these are the nine words. I am sorry. Please forgive me, and I love you. He then adds an additional four words, often helpful, and that is, it was my fault. That's a hard one to say, huh? One of the most important uh, scriptures he says in marriage is Ephesians 4.32, where it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What we find is that this gentleman, he's 90 years old, a lot to learn from him, one of the things that they were saying during the interview is this, they were saying, it was just so, it was weird how as they're talking to him, he's just like, you know, conversing and then scriptures are rolling out. It's just part of his conversation, the way that he memorized scripture. And so another thing to learn, because I know some of you here, you're trying to learn scripture and you're like, wow, I don't know, it's kind of too hard. And then maybe when you get older, you kind of give up because you think your brain doesn't work like it used to. Um, well, this is what he said. He said three words. This is how you learn with Scripture. Review, review, review. He said you just keep reviewing. That's the secret of memorizing Scripture. And he said, remember, we're never too old to remember. And another thing that we find is when you get older, obviously your body starts breaking down. Imagine what it would be like at 90 years old, Right? And so he says, this is the thing that I've learned, and that is to always maintain a joyful spirit, right? He said, many seniors allow growing old to steal their joy. Barrows will not be moved. The sense of deep gratitude permeates his spirit. And he says, it all goes back to believing and continually reciting God's promises. And then, you know, this guy sings, and so he would, you know, share the words to the songs a lot. And then, you know, finally he would just kind of break out, a lot of times just break out into singing, you know. And that joy is a real big part of his life. He started singing that song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? And you know, it's right there, right? And it's just so cool to learn from this 90-year-old man, father of five, grandfather of 21, great-grandfather of 12, 
And he said this in closing, remember that God has a plan for your life. You don't need to step outside of the will of God to find it. And so he says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, in looking at this lesson here, we find that God tells us, man, to make sure that we don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. And I pray that we as a society, beginning with us as a church, would come back to that place of honoring those men who are older than us. You know, what we find is that uh, John Stott, I like what he said, he said, it may be Timothy's duty to admonish somebody considerably older than himself. Paul seems to assume that it will be. In this case, he must perform his duty, but do it as an exhortation not as a harsh rebuke. Uh, again, one study Bible said, verse 1 of chapter 5 does not prohibit the correcting of an older man, but speaks to the manner respectfully in which it should be done. And so I pray that we would have that in our heart. Paul tells Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as you would a father. And then look again at verse 1. He says, and younger men as brothers. The NIV says, treat the younger men as brothers. Another translation says, talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. William McDonald said this, it would be improper for him as a younger man to assault an older person with verbal blows. There might also be the danger of this young servant of Christ manifesting an overbearing attitude toward the younger men. And so Paul tells him that he is to treat the younger men as brothers, he is to be just like one of them and not adopt a domineering attitude toward them. And I guess in one sense, you know, we pastors need to make sure we see people accurately as we speak to them. Pastors and all people need to make sure they teach, they talk, and they treat people appropriately. And I would say that's, not, that's true not only in a, in a one-on-one personal setting, but I also believe in a congregational setting, that as we're preaching and we're teaching, that we take into consideration that, you know, there's older people there, and so you better make sure that you're speaking the Word of God in love and respectfully. And it's so cool the way it all works out, you know. I mean, dealing with older men as, as, as fathers and, and the younger men as brothers, and what a blessing it is to have brothers, Right? And not only am I to speak to you as brothers, but I also have you as a brother. Now this is different from the previous point in that although I'm able to speak to the older men as I would my father, they're not my father. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 9, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father. He who calls you in heaven, he's your father. And so in the kingdom of God, we have only one who bears the title of spiritual father, But this is different. In the kingdom of God, all male believers in all reality actually bear the title of brother, commonly referred to in Calvary Chapel as bro. Bro, you know. Hey, bro. And I love it. I love it. You know, because you don't know their name, but you can just call them bro, right? (laughs) And it's so cool. And I pray that we would know the family setting in the house of God, how important it is to be a family and to see each other as a family. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17, it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. 
You see, a brother is born to be there, to care, to share, and to tear you away from the things that dishonor the family. For there's a name and a bond together we bear. There's a claim far beyond that's incredibly rare. My brother is born. I'm a brother to warn and to protect and direct and reflect the fame and the name of the family. And when I find myself overwhelmed, I will oftentimes cry to my father, and oftentimes he will send me my brother to be there, to care and to share, because I'm in a war, and that's what my brother is born for, the war, the enemy against me viciously and ceasingly, but here is my brother born for adversity. You see, we have, we have that brother, and we have to live as brothers do. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, we must learn to live together as brothers or die together as fools. And that's why we've got to learn to live together as brothers. We need to treat people right and see people for who they really are. To be a brother, to speak to brothers as brothers would and as brothers should. And we know in the Scripture, this is something that Timothy is commanded to do so, and we see it in other places, Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but I think most of you do, that you really are in the hood, because 1 Peter 5.9 says we are in the brotherhood, right? And it's important for us to take this to heart. Don't think it's just something on paper. It's real. It's a blood. It's a, it's a purchase that Christ made possible on the cross. It's important to remember this. This is the house of God. This is the family of God. Older men are to be treated as fathers. Younger men and all men in Christ are in all reality your brothers and to be treated so. And it's kind of cool too because um, you know it mentions younger men and uh, and younger men, they're sometimes hard to tame, huh? Some of the younger men, they're like wild stallions. And the world is telling them, and the body is telling them, to go out and sow their wild oats. How the younger men need the older men to be big brothers to them. How can we help them? I love Psalm 119, verse 9. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. How can you tame a young man? It's hard enough an older guy, right? But you know how the young guys are. The answer is, you just give them the word. And you're living the word and you're pouring it into them and you're making it practical to them. And you're understanding what it is to be part of a family, right? Titus chapter 2, verse 6 says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. And I like that because I think even woven within that is the message, man, you don't need to go get high. You don't need to, to get drunk. You know, be a sober man. And, and these young men, a lot of times they struggle with things like that. But we encourage them. We exhort them, right, to live that type of life. See, in dealing with people, Paul writes to Timothy, do not rebuke an older man. In other words, speak to him harshly. But exhort him, encourage him as a father, younger men as brothers, and then older women as mothers. You know, the interesting thing about this is uh, it's kind of funny. Um, 
you know, my son told me this, and, and he, you know, he takes, you know, Bible classes and, and stuff, and he told me, hey, Dad, in the Asian culture, if you're one day older, you're to be treated as an older man or an older woman, woman, right? And I was like, wow, that's, that's a trip, you know? And so he was telling me about how one time these two uh, young guys, they got into a fight because one guy was a week older than the younger guy, and he said, you're not treating me right, right? And so they started fighting, right? And so obviously you're not supposed to do that. But I, I guess there is a technical aspect in this, is we've got to find out how old you ladies are. You know? And so we've got to, how, you know, because I know sometimes they look young, but they're not really that young. You know, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> but if you're an older woman, and I don't know, I, don't, I was talking to my son, I'm like, man, I wonder how that works. A week older, a day older? I mean, you know, let's just be biblical about this. If you're an older woman, you're to be treated here as a mother, right? And you guys, that should mean so much to us. I mean, we're getting ready to, to celebrate Mother's Day. I mean, it's a special day. Our moms who gave us birth, who took care of us, who raised us, who loved us, who gave their lives for us, they're worthy of all honor and they're worthy and due of all respect. And, and here Paul is teaching Timothy the way you would treat your mom, the way you would talk to her, is the way you're supposed to treat the women who are older than you. Now what that means is that actually, you know, we have to find out all these things, take it to the Lord and ask Him for wisdom and be able to treat women with that type of respect. And, and I've got to share this with you guys, you know. Having been in the ministry for, for many years, I've seen young guys, young girls rebuke older ladies without any respect, without any reverence whatsoever. And I think the reason they did it so harshly is because they were so convinced that they were so right. And you know what? There's a couple of times where I thought, you know what, I don't think they're right because I've seen these things very personally. There have been times where, yeah, maybe they're right, but it doesn't give you the right, and I pray you would be biblical, especially those of you who are younger and you're rebuking somebody who's older, that you would take this into consideration and you're not harsh with them. We have to have that type of respect. Even if you are right, how foolish it is and how sinful it is and how wicked it is to disrespect and demean someone, especially someone older than you, and especially a woman. Who is older than you because that is a little different as well we guys it's not really that big of a deal to be honest with you you know um we got the skin of a rhinoceros you know that's cool you see you know what uh, i know me it doesn't mean nothing right a lot of times right especially if they're wrong because sometimes someone will try to rebuke you and they're wrong you take it to the lord and just leave it there chuck swindoll says you sift you shift and you sail boom but with the ladies it's not that easy huh some of the ladies, we see they're a little different. They don't take it in stride. They're tender. They're soft. And they're sensitive. And so we need to be careful. You know, that young guy who socked that referee in the soccer game, you know, he, he didn't mean to kill him, right? I mean, you know, when the, when the referee got socked, at first he was okay, and then he kind of fell down. He said, somebody hold me up. I feel a little dizzy. And then he started vomiting. Then he started vomiting blood. 
They took him to the hospital. And, you know, eventually he died. But, you know, in one sense, you know, you may rebuke someone who's older than you and you sock them. And, you know, you don't mean to, to do a lot of damage, but, but because you're not doing things God's way, do you realize what you do to them? And that's why it's important to make sure we, we do things God's way. Paul's writing to Timothy saying this is the way it's supposed to be in the church. You have to be so careful in your conversation. The way that you speak to older men and younger men and older women and younger women. Look again right here. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. NLT says we are to treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Again, we acknowledge a reality in the kingdom of God and the family of God that as Christians we have one father, we are his children, we truly are brothers and sisters. And so we need to talk to each other, we need to treat each other, we need to see each other as such. You know, I grew up as an only child, uh, without any siblings. How many of you here, just out of curiosity, any other older, only ch- child here? All right, one, that's it. All right, got to get together, Dan. We're going to talk about this. Man. Anyways, um, a lot of times when I say that, people say, well, you were lucky. You were lucky, you know? You didn't have someone to nag you. You didn't have someone to tattle on you, man. You didn't have someone hassling you or harassing you. You're an only child. But it also means that I didn't have someone as a brother or sister to grow up with, to be close to, to confide in or to get counsel from. I didn't have a sibling to protect me from the school bully or to push me to be a better young man as I was growing up. As an only child, I probably fostered maybe even some selfishness. After all, when you're the only one, uh, you know, you know, then you don't have mom and dad telling you to look after your brothers and your sisters. You see, and so having brothers and sisters, I think, is a, is a beautiful thing. And I think that we need to, however, carry that over into the church. You know, I think, especially if I had a sister growing up, and especially a younger one. I mean, I just think about how, you know, I would have probably been. I mean, because I know how guys are. Right? Because I'm a guy and, and, and I know I would have done everything I could to protect my sister from these guys. And just as you would in that, in that biological setting, you know, so much more so in, you know, the theological setting in the church where it's, it's real. You know, Paul writes to Pastor Timothy and in doing so, I think he writes to all pastors and even to all people and says to them to talk to and treat the younger women as sisters. And then he has to add those three words, with all purity. You know, in one word, we have, one sense we have the, the paternity, and then the fraternity, and then the maternity. And then we get to the, the, the girls, and I think the best word is, is purity. Especially when you have these guys dealing with girls that are younger. You know, one of the things that we see, and I mentioned it to you last week, is that it's sad that most pastors nowadays, in the public's eyes, are not known for their purity. They're unfortunately known for their impurity. And that's why Paul stresses it. We saw it again 
earlier in First uh, Timothy chapter four verse twelve, how we're to be an example in purity, and one way to protect yourself from perversity is just to see this the, the girls, the younger girls for who they really are. That's my sister. That's my sister. And I think it's beautiful, to be honest with you. You know, sometimes when you become a Christian, you lose your biological family. They don't want anything to do with you. They don't want to hang out with you sometimes because you don't get drunk with them anymore. Now, I'm not saying, you know, give up on them. The Lord gives you wisdom and how to deal with all those things. But Jesus said in Mark 29 through 30, it's okay because I'm going to give you other brothers. And I'm going to give you other sisters. I'll give you a house. I'll give you a family. And that's, you guys, what we have. And I'm so blessed. And I pray that you are blessed. And I pray that you would know the reality of who we are in Christ. You know, sometimes you say, well, guys shouldn't talk to girls. And yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, we've got to be careful. But, you know, it's my sister. It's my brother. we just got to make sure that we do so with holiness and with purity. You know, like fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters, what a blessing when we live life as healthy families should. And so, in closing, we're going to sing this song by Sister Sledge. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the Church of God. Let's, let's, let's just remember, the Church of God is also a house of God. Not only fields with flocks and sheep and shepherds, but... A house. It's a home where the family lives, where we are to see people like fathers and mothers and, and brothers and sisters, and I can maybe add uncles and aunts, and you know, we're a family with ties. We really do have bonds that are established when we're born into God's family by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would be encouraged in that and that we would live in that. You know, what a blessing when we acknowledge the house, God's house this home that we live in, and we live life as healthy families should. Let me close with a couple of things. One is an illustration about um, different types of birds. Um, there was a popular book a few years ago by Jonathan Livingstone, and it was called The Seagull. And it extolled the virtues of independence and individuality at any price. The seagull is a popular subject for photography and many people who vacation at the shore end up with some kind of souvenir bearing the picture of a seagull. It's easy to see why people like the seagull. A seagull exalts in freedom. When flying alone, he thrusts his wings back with powerful strokes and climbs higher and higher and then swoops down in majestic loops and circles. In a flock, though, the seagull is a different bird. His majesty dissolves into fights and cruelty. Concepts of sharing and manners do not seem to exist among seagulls. They are so fiercely competitive and jealous that if you tie a ribbon around the leg of a seagull, making him stand out from the rest, then you sentence him to death. The others in the flock will furiously attack him with claws and beaks hammering through feathers and flesh to draw blood and they continue to do so until the seagull is dead. 
And so he says that's one picture of a seagull, that individual picture, right? But he said, consider now the contrast with the wild goose. The V formation they use in flying enables them to fly with much more ease and speed. The point position is the most difficult because of wind resistance, and so the geese rotate this position every few minutes. Have you guys ever seen them flying in the V, right? The easiest flight is experienced in the two rear sections of the formation, and so the stronger geese permit the younger geese and the older geese to occupy these positions. It is also probable, and here's something interesting, that the constant honking encourages the weaker geese. You guys ever hear them honking? Like, oh. you know, I don't know how I make that sound, you know? <laughs> and then now you know why. Wow, it encourages, it encourages them, right? And so he goes on to say, the seagull teaches us to break loose and fly alone, but the wild goose teaches us to fly as a family. We can fly further with our Christian family than we could ever fly alone. And as we fly, our efforts constantly help others in the family. You see? And that's kind of what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, man, you guys, you know, your family, treat each other that way. And, and, as, you, and as you have that in your heart, it's so cool what, what God ends up doing, man. We're going to fly, you guys. My prayer is that this church would just bring so much glory to God and that, man, you would be blessed in a very strong and intimate and personal relationship with the Lord, which is the last thing I want to share with you. And that is that, you know, just because you're alive doesn't mean you're part of God's family. You have to receive Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. Right? The scripture I shared earlier, John 1.12, as many as received him, to them... He gave the right to become children of God. And so if you're not a Christian, you don't have that assurance if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. Or you don't even know where you stand. I want you to know this, that God wants you to be in His family. That He loves you. But you've got to be born again into it. You've got to be adopted by the Father. And that can only happen if you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. Because he died for your sins on the cross. They put him in a grave and three days later he rose again. It's a decision that you have to make. And I pray, man, that today you would make that decision. I want to be part of God's family. I need Jesus. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to study your word together. A lot of things, Lord, I know I need to take to heart. I don't want to be like Moses who misrepresented the people and spoke harshly to them and therefore was not permitted to go into the promised land. Lord, I want to learn. And I pray, Father, that you would just continue to teach us all these things. And I pray especially if there is anyone here today who doesn't know you. Lord, you're the only one who can save. And I pray that you would save them today. And just in case, before we leave here, if you don't know the Lord and you want to receive him as the Savior of your life, right where you are, if you would, just raise your hand. And in raising your hand, you're basically saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. I need Jesus. Anyone here? You may think, well, I'll do it next time. You might not have next time. Today is the day of salvation. And it's so cool. 
When you choose to become part of his family, he gives you his power. He gives you his genetic code, man. And he'll help you with your marriage, and he'll help you with your addictions, and he'll help you with all the struggles and all the empty. He'll fill the emptiness that's in your heart. But you've got to take that step of faith. Anyone here that wants to receive Christ, all you've got to do is raise your hand and we'll follow up on you, man. Anyone here? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so you've got to take that step of faith and say, Lord, I believe in You. I believe in You. Anyone here? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I'm so, I'm so blessed, Lord, to be able to study your word, Lord, together with your people. And as we go, Lord, today, I pray this week through life, Lord, that this, these words would resonate within us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that we would live life to the fullest, Lord. Have your hand upon our hearts, God. And I do pray, Lord, if there is anyone here or some that don't know you, Lord, that you'd bring them to their knees, Lord. Bring them to that place of pure love and an intimate relationship with Christ. Thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll close with a song. If you're here today and you need prayer for whatever reason, after we sing this song, we'll hang out up here in the front. And you can come up. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.